moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we have another in our Innovators and Disruptors series where we are going to spotlight a organization to hear their story and also talk about the problems that they solve. And in the course of that, there's going to be some pretty impactful lessons that we're going to learn. So there's a number of questions that we're going to answer throughout the course of the conversation. We're going to find out why diversity first is a critical success factor for a tech startup. We're going to learn how the public can hold politicians accountable. And we're also going to learn how AI as a technology can solve of the issues related to and associated with polarization. So a lot of runway that we're going to cover. And to guide us through the conversation is our featured guest, Nicole Agloza. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun talking through this topic and also the, hearing the story of your startup. And we'll have plenty of time to get into that. But before we dive into all of the details, why don't you get the listeners up to speed on a little bit about who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. I'm a University of Florida graduate. And after I graduated, I went to South Africa. I had a huge perception change there in terms of culture and how people live as well as do startups. After that, my professional career went into sales. And from sales, I actually made a major career switch into Workday as a deployment consultant. So I actually worked on government and education systems engineering there. And then I later moved to Warner Bros where I did the same thing, except in communication systems. After all of that, I've lived around the United States. I grew up in Chicago, lived in Florida most of my life. Did a couple of jobs on the West Coast in San Francisco and LA. And now I'm actually in New York City. That's my kind of journey all the way up till this where I'm at. And now I'm the founder of Etha. I've been in New York City for two years. How many frequent flyer miles? And now I'm the founder of Etha. I've been in New York City for two years. How many frequent flyer miles have you racked up in all of those uh, travels? It's been a really crazy journey, but I got to see the way that a lot of Americans live. I got to see a lot of cities, states, and different walks of life. So really happy about my experiences there. Let's let's dig into a little bit of that story. You mentioned just a few minutes ago that you had grown up in Chicago. When you're talking about formative experiences and all that at a high level, tell us a little bit about what your experience was like growing up, because I think it sets the stage pretty well for some of the pivots that you had later on in life. I come from an immigrant family, so naturally... Everyone in my family was actually born in Poland. I was actually the only one as a U.S. citizen out in Chicago. Coming from a background like that, you tend to take everything into effect whenever it comes to like thinking about your country, the way it is, the way it should be. Most people come from other countries to be a part of the U.S. as a thriving democracy and things like that. And you know, that really set the stage for a lot of things that I did. 
and I'm doing now. All things aside, it's given me a really good background of how to talk to strangers, no matter what background you're from. Chicago is an extremely diverse city, but knowing that you have to go to other cities, thinking about certain different approaches when talking to people. I come from a very supportive background and family, and they've just taught me a lot of things that really make me tough in this space that carries a startup like this. It's interesting that you bring up the immigrant background and also growing up in Chicago. Chicago is diverse, but what's interesting, I grew up in Chicago too. I spent a lot of time. I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I spent probably 10 years in various places in Chicago. But what's interesting, and you know this, about Chicago is that while it's very diverse from an ethnic and demographic perspective, it's actually one of the more segregated cities in the U.S. I think, uh, and this might, I might be wrong, but I think Boston is up there in that same category where you have a highly diverse overall city. But like when you get in the borders, it's extremely segregated in terms of how people are distributed. Oftentimes when you're coming out of an immigrant background and I'm out of that same background, we're taught that, hey, keep your head down, work hard, fit in. Was that the messaging that you got from your parents or was the messaging different having having immigrated from Poland? Mostly my family was like, get a job, get it, go to school, get a job, get a degree, be a PhD student, follow it and make sure you fit in. I have more of a different perspective just because I've traveled a little bit outside of the States. And like when you have an immigrant family, like they want you to be as safe and secure as possible. With a startup, you need to take some risk. And that risk is really what I've learned just from my family is, yes, you've already risked moving here, but now you got to take it to the next level and show immigrants and future immigrants, for that matter, what America is about. It is really following your dreams and really making sure that you can take the risks, which are allowable here. And that's what I've learned. So it's interesting that you mentioned the Generation Zero immigrant sort of path that they laid out. My parents laid out the same thing. Get it, get as many degrees as you can, as high as you can, get a job and then stay at that job and do really well, but basically work that job until you're dropped dead. So I still get those comments where if I'm six months into a role and I'm like, this place is not working for me, I'm going to start looking. They're like, that makes no sense. And the whole idea, and we've had several guests on that are from similar backgrounds where they floated the idea of a startup to their parents and their parents are like, what is a startup and how are you going to feed yourself and you can't move in or maybe you can move in, but how are you going to do all that? Was that kind of the reaction that you got from your folks when you gave that game plan? My parents have already freaked out. The millennial generation does switch jobs and I've done that quite a bit. And when they said or found out that I was leaving my other corporate job when I got to New York City to pursue the startup, they were a little bit freaked out. How can this girl support herself? I'm actually currently walking dogs to make my rent in New York City. So it's like my parents are like, why is she doing this? And I'm always saying you got to do it now because it's going to be too late a little later. It's going to get much more difficult. So it, your observation about some of the generational differences is pretty interesting because I'm a Gen Xer and I came up with all of that boomer indoctrination about what life is supposed to look like. And I think when I think about my career trajectory, there are multiple p- places where I stuck around too long just because I had it beat into me, not literally, but like beat into me that this is the path 
that you need to go. It's one of the things that I appreciate about millennials and Generation Z is you have a lot of people that are judgmental of those generations saying, oh, they're soft and they're lazy and all this sort of stuff. And the reality of it is that they're the first couple generations that have had the courage to actually advocate for what they want in order to be successful. Wow, shocker. You say that stuff out loud instead of keep your head down. And when you think about it, what is keeping your head down and working hard ever gotten anybody? Like you look at the dynamics between employer employee and you have generations of people that have kept their heads down, worked really hard. And all of a sudden the company outsources this, that, or the other thing. And you're fired and out on the street. All that loyalty is just like whatever. So I think I, I'm a big fan of the, the everyone's a free agent mentality that Generation Z and millennials have brought forward because it's true. Sorry, that's the first soapbox of the day. It's early in the show for that. You're growing up through Chicago. You mentioned it in the intro that you actually went to University of Florida, home of the Gators. I can't think of a more different place to be than to go from Chicago to Gainesville. What was the contrast between those two regions? Living in Chicago, I was only there for a few short years, right? First two years of my life. So I didn't get to see much of Chicago, but I did. I, I know quite a lot about it. And I've been there older when I was older. Being in Gainesville, I got to actually be around a lot of international students. It is much more of a liberal town than it is the rest of Florida. Florida is a swing state. So there's a lot of contrasting opinions and views there. Going to this school opened up my eyes quite a bit because it led me to my first trip abroad to South Africa. And I learned a lot of bit of lessons about traveling and what the world is like outside of a box that all of us are listening to or a part of whenever it comes to watching the news or being on social media. I'd say definitely allowed for a lot of different perceptions and diversity because they too are that school that really lives by diversity. Believe it or not, it is one of those places in Florida that is still and will be like that. It's not surprising to learn that many colleges have more diversity than the, than the towns that they're based in. So I think that makes a lot of sense. You specifically mentioned that one of the things that stood out during your time at University of Florida was the international student population. Why did that stand out as a particular point of emphasis when when you were describing your experience there? I definitely think that it was a huge part to everything. Just, I was the vice president of all the international students. I met thousands of incoming and outgoing students each semester for two to three years. And I got to pe meet people from everywhere. I know people from Greenland, Australia, all over Africa, Asia. And getting to see all these multitudes of cultures collide really set the stage for there is a lot beyond of just being with one culture or race to do business, right? It should be an international thing. It should be free. There should be trade involved. And I think it's a beautiful thing that that school has been able to show me in terms of perception change and leading to studying abroad across the world for different things. That's pretty important stuff to call out. Now, say what you will about Florida. Everything that, uh, that you've talked about has been in the category of first world experience. And that you go to South Africa, which is 180 degrees away from first world experience. The first thing that I'm curious about is what compelled you to go to South Africa in the first place? Yeah. So I came across an entrepreneurship professor at UF and he was the one that kind of encouraged us to, he had an entrepreneurship class 
And he ran it really well. It was a business proposal class where you learn how to create your first business proposal and model and then pitch it. And then later he had a trip scheduled to go to South Africa for study abroad. But the trip actually was to help disadvantaged entrepreneurs in South Africa grow and scale their businesses. So it was actually really intriguing, one, from an entrepreneurship level, but two, it was in a third world country and we were working in Kyalicho, which were townships. So these people basically had no food, shelter, water, or anything like that, yet they were running businesses on the side. As, as students, we came in as consultants to help scale their business was what really caught my eye for the program. It seems an odd combination of objectives. So you're doing consultant work in South Africa, and basically where you were, it sounds like everybody was in survival mode, and yet the objective is to help grow and scale business for these entrepreneurs. How are those two things even possible at the same time? Because if I'm living on less than $2 a day, how am I even going to have time to grow and scale a business when eight hours a day is spent getting, I'm not joking about that, but it legit could be spent trying to find drinkable water. Definitely. That's what opened up my eyes is that we in the U.S. do take a lot of things for granted, right? And these people out here in Africa are basically still stuck in this place where they are still struggling to get food, water, shelter. But it's incredible what they can do and accomplish in that time and how much creativity really comes out of what they do each day. Since they're struggling for the basics, they have to get very creative to find solutions to help either their families out in a time of need or to even just grow their business so they could sustain themselves and their face. I've seen people living in shipping containers over there with six people to a shipping container. It's incredible under the stress and pressure that's out there, but they sure learn very quickly and very creatively how to get out of certain situations like that. There's also helped me see a different side to business and doing things that require money for most people. But for us, it's more guerrilla just because of the creativity and tactics I've gained from working with a lot of those disadvantaged entrepreneurs. That's a really interesting observation. I'm wondering if you have an example that stands out in your mind as as a really solid one of creativity in basically a an extremely resource-poor environment. Sure. So we had a client, his name was Lufefe. He's actually pretty well known under Richard Branson's team for being the spinach king of South Africa. Over there, he had a big problem not being able to find or grow spinach in the township area because one, it was too dangerous or not enough space or there was too much. But two, there was also no materials to build a greenhouse. So what he did, he was able to gather all of the pollution, like all these bottles, all of these glasses and things like that, and string them together for the roof of the greenhouse and the sides of it. But then that solved a couple of problems. He was able to create a greenhouse totally without money and using these bottles for a natural greenhouse to clean up the pollution and was able to put the plants under that area that he cleared so he could grow his plants effectively. I don't think anybody that is listening to this right now would be facing a problem like that. But I guess my question is, how do we make the lesson of that story broadly applicable to anybody in any business context? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. First of all, you do not need money as an entrepreneur to scale your business. There's a lot of distractions, a lot of tools out there that really do get in the way of that. But when you're under extreme pressure, like us entrepreneurs are, 
you do find creative ways and places to make sure that you can grow or scale in very creative ways. So I guess like the lesson to apply here is that one, you do not need money and you just need to find a very creative way to go about this. But that also means failing forward and failing fast, right? Take that example from Lufefe, Spinach King, of how he was able to do that and apply it to everything in your company. Do barter and trade. Is there anything in your company that's valuable to a person that might be giving you another service? If you need PR services, maybe they need automation and development tools for reaching out to more PR clients, right? There's different ways in understanding that. And I think you just need to be able to understand a really dark or deep situation that somebody is in. And then understand how to maybe even get out of it in very creative ways in terms of not even having to use money as an entrepreneur. That right there has got a lot of different runways that we can take, but it actually ties into one of the other conversations that I have regularly with people on my team. I lead a team of sales professionals and I'm one of the older people on the team. So I'm the Gen Xer on the team and most of my team are millennials and Generation Z. And I'm always talking in terms of building your brand, establishing your expertise in a particular subject matter area. So that is portable throughout your entire career. Nine times out of 10, people look at me like I have nine heads, but it goes right to the point that you're talking about. There's a set of skills that each person has, and there's somebody else out in the world that values those set of skills. And you should leverage those skills in exchange for other skills that fill in gaps that you might have. So that's essentially the principle that you're talking about. And there's a negotiation component that comes into it. I think that that's a brilliant sort of application in how you apply it to a modern or first world business context. What else did you learn or discover during your time in South Africa? Yeah, my worldview changed quite significantly. I came from a very, I guess you could say my family lives under a rock. You're an immigrant, you come to a new country, you don't know a lot. And what you is generally on the TV. So I didn't get a lot of interaction in third world countries, nor had I really ever been to one outside of South Africa, except for Colombia before. This time I was actually working in those places. You know, you really start to see people for who they are and how these cultures really evolve and the beauty behind diversity. I'd say perception is the biggest thing that I've learned when in Africa. I'd say a a few stories here. I first flew into Africa at the airport and the taxi driver said, what are you doing here? And I basically said, I'm working in Kailicha, which is that township that I mentioned earlier. And the guy almost pulls over and he was like literally breathless saying, was like, Kailicha, are you guys crazy? And me and my friend that I flew there with to the airport looked at it over at each other. What do we get ourselves involved with? The taxi driver basically said, hey, what's the equivalent to the most dangerous places in the U.S. in terms of like ghettos or things like that. And I was like, Compton, Detroit, I named all of these areas. And he was basically saying, just imagine Kyalicha like that, but on steroids. And then we seriously got worried. And then when we first got into that town, that's when that Orlando shooting at Pulse nightclub first happened. And I was like, that guy might have said that Kyalicha is dangerous, but I guess it's all about perception. The U.S. has a very large target on their back, and we were subject to all these random shootings. So is Africa. So is everywhere else on the planet. It just depends on, you know, who you are and the situations you get involved in. In terms of perception for South Africa, like, these people are struggling for regular food, shelter, and water. And they're also running a business on the side. And they're much happier than almost everyone that I've ever run into in the U.S. Why is that? 
because they don't see what is out in there, the rest of the world. They don't have all these extra stressors that we do find ourselves in, in the U.S. and other places in the world. And it's interesting to really see that. But I also think that having this much pressure, it really does make you much more of a creative and thoughtful like place to be. And things aren't always as what they seem. Like things are always just like a little bit behind that corner and like always waiting to be explored. And people should take it with an open mind as opposed to just going in there with prejudices or other judgments that they may have previous. That's the biggest thing that Africa has taught me is perception is everything. So how long did you spend in Africa before you transitioned out? I was there for about six months. Okay. And then once you left Africa, what did you do next? Yeah, after that, I I joined the real world and I was in sales. And then I took my career from there. It took me a while to get a job as a student that was coming out of school. But that's how I started was just a regular old sales job. So there was a couple of different signposts when you when we opened the show that you mentioned that you were in sales and then you spent some time a little bit later on on the implementation side and on the consultancy side for work workday what were the big lessons that you learned in both of those roles that paired you for your current role yeah now i'm the ceo of Ethel, but sales i don't know how most entrepreneurs would do it without that kind of a background in the beginning and when you're in sales you're really prepared and know the process of actually selling to investors so you don't get as discouraged as easily when i was at workday and warner bros i really got to see how communication systems education systems and government systems all interacted with each other at separate times of course but this actually taught me a lot about how things and the way that the world works in terms of how knowledge is dispersed how communication patterns happen and how we actually see the world from both the government, education and media standpoint. Tell us a little bit more about what uh, what specifically you're referencing when you say, hey, working at Workday and working in sales opened your or actually working at Workday specifically helped you better understand how these different large structures kind of work together. It's just eye-opening to see that on the back end, to just see how much it is that really goes into building these systems, how old and archaic they are. Once understanding all of those things about these systems, you really actually think about it. You're like, no wonder there's so many issues out there. This stuff is really old. It's really, there's too many steps. It's too complex. And then you really start taking it from a very high-end level and breaking it down into pieces that allow you to solve for a lot of these complex issues. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about what you're up to now. And before we dive into the granular details, I think it's important for you to lay out the problem that you were trying to solve that was the genesis of of Ether. So when we were talking, hey, the political landscape, the communication landscape, the business landscape, all of these different things, what did you see that was informed by all your previous experience as an implementation consultant and your time in Africa and all of that sort of stuff? How did all of that feed into your understanding of these different landscapes? Tune in next time to Cascading Leadership to hear the answer to this question and so much more. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. 
leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.